This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Yemen Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Chuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. Today, we'll continue with the Shalotu Chuvot of the Nitziv of Alajan. In Chelek Beis, Simon Memzayin, the Nitziv has a question about support of Tamili Chachamim. The question was asked about the order of priority in giving Tzedakah. On one hand, we know that the Aniyei Eretz Yisrael come before Aniyei Chutzlaretz. But the question was asked if there is a Tamit Chacham who lives in Chutzlaretz and a person who is not as great a Tamit Chacham who lives in Eretz Yisrael. Does Eretz Yisrael beat Chutzlaretz even though he's a Tamit Chacham or does a Tamit Chacham come first? Now, interestingly enough, we know that Netziv was a great lover of Eretz Yisrael and he certainly is a great lo- lover of Torah. To a certain extent, the question really would be, which is a greater value? The, of course, the decision of the Nitziv was that Tamit Chacham comes before even relatives about giving staka. Therefore, in this question, where they were not relatives, it would be obvious that you should give first to the Tamil Chacham. There are two reasons involved. One is because giving to a Tamil Chacham is not just giving something personal to him, it's something for the entire community. There is another halacha of Kavadah Torah. So in one respect, Kavadah Torah comes before anything else, and therefore you have to give to Tamil Chacham. The second thing is giving to Tamil Chacham itself is a zchus v'kal Yisrael because the, there is a benefit for Klai Yisrael in having this Tamit Chacham present. The, this always reminded me of a story that I heard many years ago from Rav Chaim Yaakov Levine, the Rav of Padishana. He told me that once there was a question whether you're allowed to have the same person be Sandik for two brothers. The Shulchanarach rules that you should not have a Sandik for two brothers, and they explain there because to be a Sandik is a skula like the Kohen who is Makiv the Ktoris. The Kohen was Makiv the Ktoris, did not do it twice. Only Chadashim, new people, would do the Ktoris every day because since it's a special schooler, they used to spread the school around. So the same halacha applies to a Tamid Chacham who is uh, to, any, to a Sandak. Anyone who's the Sandak, there's a school and being a Sandak, so we share it. You don't be a Sandak for two brothers. The story that Rav Levine met, mentioned to me was a story about Rav Binyamin Mendelssohn, who was the Rav of Komamius, many years ago, who went to ask the went to ask the Chazonish uh, many questions on Shemitah. It was just before Shemitah. And he was so busy preparing for Shemitah, a person came in and asked him to come to his, his son's bris. And they, he said to him that he was too busy, he had to work on Shemitah. 
The fellow then said to Rav Mendelssohn, but you came to my son's bris, my first son's bris, why don't you come to the second one? He said, because he was a sandik there. He said, I'll make you sandik again. So Rav Mendelssohn said, you can't be a sandik twice. He said, if you could be sandik twice, you would come? He said, yeah. So he said, please do it. So he said, well, you know what, I'll ask the, chaz- the, ch- I'll ask the Chazonish. When I ask him my other questions about Shemitah, I'll ask him this question as well. He went to Chazonish, and he asked him many questions about Shemitah, and the Chazonish was very stringent about the laws of Shemitah, and said many chumras. The Mendelssohn turned to the Chazonish and said, but then my community will not have anything to eat, will really be, uh, be in, in very dire financial situation. So the Chazonish answered him, I'll give you a bracha. So he said, give me a bracha, it's very nice, what about my keilah? He said, the bracha for you is not a bracha for just for you. The bracha of a, of a rav, of a tamit chacham, is a bracha for the community. So therefore, for you, when I'm giving you the bracha, it's really chal and klai Yisrael. Of course, this is a little different, because you're giving the money to a tamit chacham. Nevertheless, the Nitziv said, giving money to a tamit chacham is a toelis l'chal Yisrael, and therefore the tamit chacham would come first. Another question was asked to him about a certain case where children had died about because of a bris milah. Well, I should be more careful. Children died because his elder sons, his two sons, had already died. So, a certain posek told the people that they should wait 30 days because that's a school. So, they asked him to say what he thought about this. Would it be proper to wait 30 days because there was a school to wait 30 days? The Nasiv answered, I do not approve of this in any, in any case. If there is a chashash, if there is a reason to suspect that the boys died because of the bris milah, then you can never mal the kid. Not after 30 days. Do not rely on a skula. The din of echad shemesu milah, you don't do a bris. Whether he's an oral or not would be a question, Rashi and Tosas, so a whole discussion about it. But nevertheless, Allah is clear that you don't do a bris. Chamira sakanta misura. If there's any chashash danger, you don't do it. So the, if the doctors had determined that these two children had died for some other reason, but not because of, but not because of the bris, then there's no question. Then you should obviously have a, uh, a bris immediately. And therefore he rejected this opinion completely. The Nitziv in this particular tshuva went on to discuss the principle of Osik b'mitzvah, patam, and a mitzvah. And he mentioned that the Rambam in Hilchos Ishus says that if a person is learning Torah, he can push off the mitzvah of having children because Osik b'mitzvah, patam, and a mitzvah, the kashakain mitam Torah. The Nitziv said he didn't really understand this halacha. Osik b'tam Torah is indeed patam from kolam mitzvahs. Isn't there a famous Rambam in Hilchas Tamut Torah that the Rambam says that a person is involved in, in Torah and there's a mitzvah overes, a mitzvah that he has to do that cannot be done by other people. The Rambam says, of course you have to learn, stop learning and go to do the mitzvah. And then it says, and we always have to remember the great love, the special love of the Nitziv for Limud Torah. But the Nitziv says, even though Tamut Torah, Afi Mitzvah Saseh Yekara Mitzvah, 
even though it's more precious than the other mitzvah, but you cannot have a person learning Torah and using that as an excuse not to fulfill mitzvahs. Because there's a t'nai in mitzvahs, a person who learns Torah, it's part of the very concept of Torah, that a person has to learn Torah in order to fulfill mitzvahs. It would be a contradiction in terms for a person to say, I'm learning Torah and therefore I do not have to fulfill mitzvahs. Therefore, the Nitziv leaves this Rambam with a question. But very interestingly, I'd like to point out the language of the Nitziv. I'm still confused about the Pshat in the Rambam. Whose the words of the of the Rambam are light up the world. Hakadosh Baruch Hu should help me to understand the word what the words of Arishonim, the Arabis. This question of the Nitziv, of course, has been since discussed many times. Why, how could it be that a person, on one hand, should stop learning Torah in order to fulfill the mitzvah? On the other hand, a person who is, wants to push off the mitzvah, Puravu, is entitled to do so. Because the Ram says, Oseg mitzvah, mitzvah, kol Torah. But uh, here it's uh, a famous contradiction. Without going to other answers, um, Rav Lichtenstein wrote about this in an article that appeared in Kvod HaRav, about Oseg B'Mitzvah. The Rebbe of Rav Lichtenstein, Levracha, Rav Hutner also wrote about this in his Pachet Yitzhak and Shvuas. It's a very well-known topic. The Nitziv here just left it with a question. In Chelek Beis, page in Simon Ayin Zayin, there is a interesting question about a person who was asked whether he is allowed to write a Sefer Torah to give it to Karoyim. The person who asked the question was Rav Cheskia de Medini, I assume that's the author of the Steichemet. The Nitziv thanked him very much for, the, for his question, and he brought a number of sources. So the Nitziv said, well, one thing is obvious. If you think you're not, they're not going to treat the Sefer Torah with respect, then it's certainly Yasser. And if in such a case, the person should be most nefesh not to give a Sefer Torah to anyone else. And the Nitziv brought a raya from Tanakh. Achav was most nefesh not to give a Sefer Torah to Melech Haram. On the other hand, if the Karayim do respect the a Torah, then there's no problem giving it to them, except for the fact that there might be it might be considered a lessening of the degree of Kedusha when you wrote a Sefer Torah which was used with Am Yisrael who, ki- who accepts Torah Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat 
and to give that same Torah to Torah to the Karayim who do not believe in Torah Shabbat might be a question of lowering the idea of the Kedusha. He said that in this respect, it might be a, a, a real question to give them a Sefer Torah that had already, already been written for Am Yisrael. But to write a Sefer Torah, to give it to the Karayim, and the purpose, when you write the Sefer Torah, your purpose is to give it to the to the Karayim, he said that would be permissible. Because there, it was miyuad, it was destined for those Karayim. It's not considered lowering the Kedusha. And you don't, I, I, especially in a case where you don't worry that they won't treat the Sefer Torah with respect. Now, some people had suggested that you should give them a Sefer Torah puzzle. Since they're Karayim, don't give them a Kasha Sefer Torah. Then Ziv said, this would be a very bad idea because you're over Lifnaiver. You're tricking them. In one hand, they are going to read the Sefer Torah and fulfill a mitzvah. So therefore, you're not allowed to sell them a Sefer Torah puzzle. And as if said, and of course, you're not allowed to write a Sefer Torah puzzle in order to give it to them. It's like Matil Mumbakachim. It's like if a person has an animal that's Kadosh and should be used for the purpose of Beis HaMikdash and he puts a mum in that it can't be used. It's very, very uh, bad advice. So the Nativ said you could write a Sefer to Fakaraim. Interestingly enough, I guess in his time, the question really was relevant. Now today I was told there are certain Karai communities. I never heard of um, the exact Sifri Torah, where they get their Sifri Torah from, but I do know that today there are certain communities that are considered Karayim. In that same tshuva, in Ayin Zayin, in Chelek Beis, the Nitziv had a different question that is relevant to this time. We're, still, we're now talking the week of Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The question was asked about eating matzah the entire week of Pesach. We know there's a mitzvah of eating matzah the night of Pesach. The question was, what about the mitzvah of eating matzah the entire week? So the Nitziv quoted the Maser Rav. It's known that the Vilna Gon ate matzah all week. But it doesn't say in Maser Rav, or at least in the Tziv's version, it didn't say the reason for the Gon's logic behind this. He tried to bring a raya from the Gemara that they brought a lot of matzah. He said, if it's only for one night, why do you need so much matzah? But he said, no, that doesn't prove anything. That just proves that if you want to eat matzah, you should have matzah shmura. It doesn't mean that there's a mitzvah to eat it. And the Nitziv refers you to his tshuva and amikshela, whether there is such a question. And he has no source for it. Now, it seemed to me that the source of the Vilna Gaon was fairly simple. The famous source for the mitzvah of eating matzah is because there is a davar shaya b'chlal, v'yatzah b'neklal, lo l'lamed atzmo yatzah, l'lamed al-aklal kulo yatzah. Which means, the Torah originally said a person should eat matzah seven days. And there's another place in the Torah that says six days you should eat matzah. So we have a, one of the principles of Rabbi Shmuel is if something was included in a, princip- in a general principle, like the seventh day, the seventh day was included in the original seven day sheet matzah. When that day was taken out, 
It wasn't taken out the lamed alatzmo only the seventh day. The lamed alaklal teach me the entire principle. The entire principle means there's no mitzvah eat matzah at all. So then the halacha asks. So then, how do you know you have to eat matzah the night of Pesach because of another pasuk ba'erev tochlu matzos? This source is the famous source that there's no mitzvah to eat matzah all seven days. There's a mitzvah to eat matzah the first night. But the question is simple. Why did the Torah do it in such a convoluted way? Why did the Torah have to say seven days, six days, take it out of the cloud? It seems to me the simple pshat, and I think there are mefarshim and chumash, and it's quoted this way in the name of the Vilna Gaon, who say clearly that the Torah wrote it this way in order to teach me that there is a mitzvah dit matzah called shiva. You might have thought it's an obligation to eat matzah. No, the Torah took it away from an obligation. And therefore, you don't have to eat matzah at all. But since the Torah said, there is a kiyama mitzvah in eating matzah called shiva. And it's known that the Vilna Gaon fulfilled this mitzvah, was insistent upon eating matzah called shiva. In fact, the Vilna Gaon ate sudash lishit on shvi shal pesach or shmini shal pesach. Whether a person has to eat Sudash Lishit on Yom Tov is a question. It seems that the Rambam thinks clearly that a person should eat Sudash Lishit on Yom Tov. But it said in the name of the Vilna Gaon that he made a specific effort to make to eat Sudash Lishit. Maybe he didn't eat Sudash Lishit on other Yom Tovim. But he ate Sudash Lishit on, on the, the last day of Pesach in order to show the Chavivas of Matzah to fulfill the mitzvah of eating Matzah. One of the famous questions that that's asked about the Vilna Gaon is, it seems to be the comparison to sukkah and matzah is very obvious. On sukkah also you have to eat matzah, and you have to eat in the sukkah the first night. The rest of sukkahs you don't have to eat in the sukkah. You're not allowed to eat outside the sukkah, but you don't have to. Nevertheless, if you eat in the sukkah, you fulfill a mitzvah. That's very comparable to Pesach according to the Vilna Gaon. The first night of Pesach I must eat. Matzah, the rest of Pesach, I can't eat chametz. If I want to eat bread, then I have to eat matzah. And therefore, there's a kiyom mitzvah like there's a kiyom mitzvah of eating in sukkah. But the question then would be, why don't you make a bracha on achilas matzah kol shiva? On sukkah, you make a bracha every time you sit in a sukkah. Why don't you make a bracha every time eating matzah? It's true, the Balamar and the end of Pesachim, for those people that have time to look it up, will we'll try to say the distinction. But interestingly enough, the Nitziv here said, He doesn't argue. He just says, I never heard this this idea of people making a bracha on Achilas Matzah Kol Shiva. Then the Nitziv says, I'm not sure. There might not be a bracha Vatala. In other words, it might be acceptable to make a bracha He's not sure about it because I guess it wasn't done and we never heard about it, but he has the whole distinction of making a bracha on a minig, making a bracha on what we, on what we do. And so the Nitziv really has a possibility that a person could make a bracha If I'm not mistaken, the Steichemet of Rav Chesko de Medini also quotes such an opinion about making a bracha kol shiva. In Chelek Beis, in Simen Pezayim, the Nitziv has a question about Pidyan Aben. And the question was, when the father is not there, 
his father had, had been on a business trip, whatever, and this Rav Yaakov Lev Kahana, the Rav of that community, asked what to do. Now, on one hand, there's a din on the Shulchan Aruch, and therefore the Nitziv said, look it up. But since you sent me, now I'm not sure what that word is, kanavart, I would assume that some sort of a, like a self-stamped, self-addressed stamped envelope or the money for the postage. And the person who wrote the Nitziv obviously wanted the Nitziv's opinion, so therefore he said, I will give my humble opinion, even though you really could look it up. Now, he discussed this in other sources. But there is a din in Shulchan Aruch that you cannot be poldeh by a shaliach. That din, that you cannot be poldeh by a shaliach, seems to be a very strange, very strange din. Why, what happens if there is no father? So maybe the question is, who has to pay the money? And here the Nitziv goes off in a whole, a whole discussion. The din is you do not force a father to do Pinyin Ben if he's not present. Because perhaps they can't take his money and say it's for Pinyin Ben. But the question is, is Pinyin Ben just a monetary obligation and somebody else could pay his debt for him? And therefore, the question would be, can a person actually be poda the child without the father? So he says, no. Then Nitziv said, the mitzvah is that the father gives the money for Pinyin Aben, and by Suffolk Bukhar Adam, a Kohen could not take the money. Tfisa wouldn't work, even though by Suffolk Bukhar Behema, there's a whole sugi of Tafsil Kohen. But here, it's not the same, and Tfisa Sakohen would not help. And he quotes sources for, to explain this question. Therefore, he said, if the father gives the money to the shaliach, he thinks you could be do the pidyon aben. And then Nitziv said, I did such a uh, such a, a, a pidyon aben with the father's money. But that's only when the father made him a shaliach to do the pidyon with the father's money. When there's no shaliach, the father did not make a shaliach. You can't take the father's money and give it to the Kohen. It makes no difference if it's the mother of the child or anyone else. He says, in, in fact, if it's the mother, you have to be even more careful because where does she have money from? The money belongs to her husband. So therefore, he said, you should really check if she has independent money, perhaps it could be that. But the custom is not to do Pidyana Ben. There's no child if there's if the father is not present. Of course, the question is when the father has passed away, before the opinion aben, whether you do opinion aben. Perhaps the grandfather, perhaps the mother. According to the din and the shulchan aruch, it seems that you do not make opinion aben. I had a friend, Rav Chananya Davis, born in Yerushalayim, probably close to nine hundred years ago. The uh, Rabbi Hananya Davis was a teacher in America for many years and then went back to live in Eretz Israel. He told me that his name was Hananya ben Hananya. 
His father had passed away before he was born. And he said the meaning in Yerushalayim was that no one does the Pinyin Ben. But they put a certain medallion on him to remind him to do the Pinyin Ben when he was 13. Because no one else could do the Pinyin Ben but the child himself when he, when he comes of age. And that medallion was apparently a minig of Yerushalayim to remind people to do a Pinyin Ben. I once said this in a public shiur in Yerushalayim and a lady came over to me afterwards and said I was wrong. The minig is that a grandfather does the Pinyin Ben. I saw that she was very upset about it, so I sort of wanted to find out the details, and then I found out that this particular lady had a, a child who was born and had the Pinyin Ben after the husband was killed in action. At that case, they made a Pinyin Ben, and the grandfather made a Pinyin Ben. When I asked her to check in the details, she told me that they had told her that you could have a ceremony do Pinyin Ben, but they should do it again when the child would be 13 and the child would be proud himself. Exactly what they passed who made the bracha, did they make a bracha the first time, the second time, or neither time, or both times, I don't know the details of the situation. I do know that according to the Shulchan Aruch, the minig is that you do not be proud with a shaliach, uh, many people did not understand the reasoning why you can be bothered with a shaliach. The Nitziv discusses the question whether the money belonged to the father or not. One of the last points I'd like to mention today is a discussion in Chelek Dalid of Meshiv Davar, Similamid Hay. The question here was written by a certain Rav who was an Avbezdin of a town, Haradzicht. Never heard of it. But the fellow had written to the Nitziv asking to discuss the concept of Kinyan Isha Labala. What does it mean that a husband has a Kinyan on his wife? Now we remember the words of the Mishnah. Isha Nikneis. A husband makes a Kinyan. What is the meaning of the, of the Kinyan? That's what this Rav Moshe, the Av Bezdin, asked the Nitziv. And the Nitziv said, there's no Kinyan. The Baal has no Kinyan. There's a concept called Kinyan Ishus. Kinyan Ishus means there are marital rights that the husband has when he gets married. The woman also has marital rights. I'm referring, of course, to Ona. And that woman is Meshubetes, her husband. In that respect, he has a Kenyan, a Shibut. Therefore, if a woman would say, if a woman would make a neder and forbid any marital relations, the neder would be invalid because she's Meshubetes, because he has a Kenyan. Now, he said, but the Torah does call a woman Kinyan Kaspo. So the Nitziv said, that doesn't mean Kinyan Kaspo, he owns his wife like he owns a slave or he owns a maid. It just means one thing. The same way that you own your your Eved and he has to work for you, your wife is Meshubeth to you as far as Ishus. According to biblical law, the Nitziv pointed out 
If a woman works, the money does belong to her. It's only a Drabanan law, and we have to understand how the Chachamim instituted this quid pro quo, what a woman has to give her husband, what a husband has to give his wife. But Midaraisa, according to biblical law, a woman works, she earns the money herself. Evet who works would work for someone else, would, would have to obviously give the money to the other, and Evet doesn't have any Kenyan without the without the Adam. Moreover, I can tell my Evet to work for somebody else. I have a Kenyan Isha to my wife, but that's personal. Obviously, I can't give her away to anyone else. You can't sell your wife. So therefore, he says, there's obviously no concept called a Kenyan. It's only a Kenyan for the purpose of Ishus. The Nitziv there dis- distinguishes between the Kedusha and the Kenyan. And the Kenyan, he says, is the Kenyan of Ishus. Clearly, a woman is not owned by her husband and he only has marital rights which he attains through Kedushin. This question, of course, has been discussed in Mishonim. Now, it's interesting, whenever you study a Sefer like the Nesiv, whose wide eclectic knowledge is obvious, when you read uh, the, his Perushun Shiltos and his Perushun Chumish, his Chidushim, but in today's world we have Rishonim available that were not available to everyone at the time that they were learning. Today, it's remarkably easy to look up Rishonim. Not only do we have full sets of Rajba, Ritva, and Ramban, we have annotated editions of each with footnotes, and it's so simple to, to use them. Today, we can find Rishonim that discuss this very question of the Nitziv. Just, I'll give one example because of time. I'll give one example. And the Gemarian Kedushin says that if a, a man uh, is Mekadesh, a wife, by, by extending the time of a loan, the Mara says it's, she's Mekadesh. The case would be, I lent my a woman $100. And the, day, and the day due date is, let's say, May 1st. On May 1st, she doesn't have the money to pay, and she asked me to extend the loan. I said, I'll extend it to June 1st. But with the Hana that you get from my extending the loan, I'm Mekadesh you. So the Gemara says it's considered avak ribis. It's not ribis because I actually did not stipulate at the time of the loan. And moreover, I didn't get anything back extra. I gave I gave $100 and I'm going to get back $100. So the Rajba there asks the question, but you get more than you loaned. You lent this lady $100. You come back at the end with $100 plus a wife. So the wife itself, herself should be considered the ribis. This question was asked by Tosas Riyazakin, by the Rajba. So Tosas Riyazakin says, it's true, you get a wife, but you're mukhayif to your wife. You have shibudim to her. So you didn't get extra, and in a sense, you lose. You, According to, the, to this parish, maybe you got something, but you lost more. That's not considered ribis. But the Rajba says, clearly, you didn't get anything else. You got a wife. You don't own your wife. You didn't get anything. You have no Kenyan. There's no Kenyan... When a person gets married, there are zuchuyot, shibudim, etc., but there's no kinyan. So this question of the of the uh, nativ has already been discussed in Rishonim. I 
I would assume the, the without knowing, I would assume the Nitziv did not have access as easily as we do to the Rashba and Kedushin.